Hello, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, we have two sponsors we want to say thank you to for supporting this show. The first one is Routine. You guys have heard me talk about Routine, honestly, back from the early days of the podcast, and it's still a product I use every single morning. They have a prompt for me here. I'm going to do a little impromptu on this ad read today because, honestly, this is a product that I truly believe in, and so I'm, going to, I'm just going to tell you guys exactly what I think and why. First and foremost, um, this is a stat that they shared, but when you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, and most of that's just sweating while you sleep. Um, I used to not know if that was actually true, to be honest. I felt like a pound to a pound and a half of water seemed like quite a bit while I slept. But the one thing I did constantly pay attention to when I started using a routine was just the fact that before using a routine, I always felt a little dehydrated in the morning. And and I'm one of those people that when I get up, I get up really early usually. I work out. One of the, one of the first things I do is some form of fitness. It's just like what I do before everyone's awake. And so it's very easy for me to grab a coffee, you know, pre-workout, an energy drink, something with caffeine in it, and just go. When I am good about using routine first, I basically take, they come in these little single serve packets. Um, they contain half an organic lemon, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and they have no sugar in them at all. A lot of hydration products are going to have sugar. So one of the things routine one of the things about routine that I love is that there's no sugar in there. Um, so when I am good about doing this consistently, I will take one of those single serve packets, I'll throw it in my mixer bottle. And whether I also put in a pre-workout or something with caffeine, or I just drink that separately, I try to drink that first. And the days I do that, I do genuinely feel hydrated and just have a different form of clarity all morning. A lot of people have tried to make their own homemade versions of routine, right? You see people making they take an, a, a shot of the apple cider vinegar and they put a little sea salt, a little lemon in a drink. This is essentially that, but in a product that you can take with you on the go, have it ready for you first thing in the morning. I know me personally, when I'm groggy rolling out of bed, the last thing I want to do is you know squeeze a lemon, cut lemons up, go get the apple cider vinegar, find my sea salt. I just rip this packet open, throw it in my water, drink it, and it's good to go. You can try yours today. If you haven't tried it yet and you've been listening to this podcast for years, just try the damn routine. Give it a shot. You can use code ShaneWhite30 and get 30% off your first order. So you get 30% off by using code ShaneWhite30 and go to yourroutine.com. To make it even easier, I've added the link to yourroutine.com in the show notes. So just click on the show notes for this episode. Click on the link to yourroutine.com and don't forget to use code ShaneWhite30. All right, guys. Today's episode is also brought to you by to you. It's brought to you by NeuroRoast. Again, I'm going to go a little off script here. NeuroRoast is a product that I also came across during this year of 2023. They are a, a coffee brand, coffee company that's helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. This is another product that, to be honest with you, when I first started working with it, I was a little on the fence. I was like, do I really want to have mushrooms in my coffee? Well, folks, I will tell you when I use NeuroRoast, one of the things that has stood out to me the most is in, well, I'll back up. People that know me know that I have way too much caffeine, typically. One of the things this year I've done a good job of is cutting out alcohol. Not completely, but predominantly, I don't touch a lot of alcohol anymore. What I think I've actually done the other way, though, is added a lot more caffeine. So I do, I do definitely drink too much caffeine. That's something I need to work on next year is to try to minimize how much of that, but NeuroRoast is something that has actually helped me. Because of the way they've formulated their coffee, like unlike regular coffee, which is you know still something I consume, but NeuroRoast specifically um, doesn't cause jitters or crashes. Mushroom coffee provides a more balanced and sustained energy, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. So the times I do use NeuroRoast, I'll be honest, I, I just don't feel that jittery, like I'm jumping out of my chair or standing here at my desk, jumping around feeling. So give NeuroRoast a try. They have some really good flavors. I'll be honest too, the two guys that started NeuroRoast are just really good, really good dudes based out of New York and uh, they're hustling and, and hopefully they can, they can get some people to try NeuroRoast this holiday season um, by listening to this podcast. So for you folks who've been on the fence, I'm telling you, it tastes delicious. They've done a fantastic job of making this coffee not only be functional, but taste fantastic. And if you want to try NeuroRoast, you can use code Shane White. So it's super simple. Just Shane White at checkout. Um, 
you'll also get 30% off. So if you go to neurorose.com, and once again, I have added that to the show notes. So just click into the show notes while you're listening to this episode, you can click on neurorose link directly. Don't forget to use code just Shane white, and you'll get 30% off your order. Um, hope you guys love both these products. I'm trying to not only bring you guys products that I use, but that I believe in on the podcast. Um, I'm not taking ad reads for any brands that I don't really believe in. So anyway, hope you guys love both those products, yourroutine.com and neurorose.com. I've added those links to the show notes. I uh, hope you guys love it. And I got an awesome guest coming up right after this. everybody welcome to another episode of the shane white show i am pumped today to introduce aaron gilmore of brass roots aaron welcome to the show my friend how are you thanks shane it's great to be here man I'm doing great. yeah pumped to have you on man um for everyone listening who who doesn't know what brass roots is or don't know who you are would you mind just giving everyone a quick overview of you and the brand yeah yeah so um I started Brass Roots. Let's see, we launched uh, late 2019. Um, I planned it specifically to start a brand right before a pandemic. Um, <laughs> Perfect <laughs> um, but, timing, uh, too. Nice right, job. right. Um, but um, we sell snacks made with the Sacha Inchi seed. And Sacha Inchi is also known as the Incan peanut. It's native to Peru. Uh, quite literally grown in the jungles of Peru um, in the Amazon. And uh, you eat it just like a nut, just like a peanut, just like an almond. But its macros are better in terms of protein, fiber, really high in omega-3 fats. And it's free of those uh, peanut and tree nut allergens. So that's a big part of our opportunity. Um, and everything is organic and uh, very... Uh, I would say planet friendly agriculture as well. So yeah, excited to, uh, to talk more about it. Love it. Yeah. And so to back up a little bit, Aaron, and go to the beginning, um, what were you doing before the end of 2019, uh, before you decided to start breast roots? What did you have like a normal W2 job? Were you in the food <laughs> industry? Like what was your, what was your background a little bit? Yeah. Well, so my first job out of college and this, so this is 2008, um, I went into investment banking at Citigroup. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and uh, sort of cut my teeth there, learned a little bit about business, um, business fundamentals, investing, um, but then realized that, you know, I had been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid and investment banking, it, it taught you how to work really hard and um, helped me pay off my college loans, but really... I was sitting across tables from other entrepreneurs because we were investing in those companies. Ah. And I specifically remember um, a, uh, an entrepreneur actually, and we did some energy investing. And this is a guy from Midland, Texas, um, sort of middle of nowhere, Texas, which is, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Vermont. Um, and he was like a, he was a true cowboy in an entrepreneurial sense. Um, I mean, he okay. literally wore cowboy hats in the middle of New York city with cowboy boots and oh, he, love it. he knew himself and he started his energy business. It was a, uh, it was an oil and gas. He started it from scratch. And I just remember thinking, man, I, I like this guy. I see more of myself in that guy than the people I'm sitting with, you know, in the suits. And, sure. um, and so I, I held on a little bit longer and, but then I eventually went into, um, uh, to start my own business. And, uh, that was really driven by, um, nutrition and wellness becoming a big part of, of my life. My, uh, my dad had, um, was diagnosed with heart disease in 2010. And it turns out, um, everybody, every male on his side of the family, his dad, his dad's dad all had heart disease. This is very oh, genetic. Wow. Um, you know, there's, uh, the left anterior descending artery of his was, was about 85, 90% clogged. So he's very hard, oh, wow. close to a heart attack. And thankfully they got it, you know, he got a stent put in, he just put on some cholesterol lowering drugs and, um, but had to change his diet. And obviously, uh, given that it's something that runs in my family, I took a closer look at, at mine and eventually got on this path to creating a, 
a healthy snack food company. Wow. That's wild. I mean, I feel like the brands that start with a, a bigger purpose than just, oh, I want to start a brand to sell it for X amount of money someday always seems to probably push you through times where it's a little tougher than it would be where people would fold up, I'm assuming. A hundred percent. I mean, I think I've realized that more and more to create it. You know, there's so much stuff you have to go through when you're building a company that if you don't believe 3000% in what you're doing and your product, um, you're not going to want to make it through that stuff. You have to want to, to go through it. And, um, you know, it's like if you have a food product, um, I've heard this said and I agree with it. The great thing about food is you can, you can put it next to you as you're working. And every time that, you know, things go south, you can just go over, grab a bite and get motivation immediately because you believe oh. in the product and you like it. You like how it tastes. You like how it make you, makes you feel. It's this constant reminder to keep pushing through. So I agree. I mean, you got to really, really believe. Um, otherwise, otherwise, it's not worth it. And you might as well stay in investment banking. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I've never, I've never thought about that before. But how true is that? Like, especially if you're selling a food or beverage brand, you can just have it on your desk. And it's funny. I bet the guys at Coke don't say the same thing. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, very interesting. So when you're so okay, if I back up again, I guess you're 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 doing the investment banking gig. I you know I've worked with plenty of people. My background's in finance, but I never did investment banking. And I've had plenty of managers and coworkers that have been down that route. And I've just heard it seems like the same story over and over again of just you work insane hours, you're worked to the bone, not a clear yep. line of sight of when that changes type of thing. Um, what part of that process? Obviously, you talk about your dad and in, in a life changing event happening being kind of the impetus. Going yep. from you know having a very stable, I'm assuming well-paying gig in investment banking in New York to not only starting a food brand, but starting a food brand with a product that I would say, I would assume for most people even listening to this who you know, know about CPG, this product's not something that's like widely known. It's not like if you say peanuts or almonds, everyone's like, oh yeah, duh, know what that is. I've had that a million times. What, how did you even find this product? How did, like, how did that process all go? And I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were kind of starting to ideate and develop this while you were still in investment banking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, so I found it, um, it was actually in a uh, Whole Foods bulk bin. They were trying it out um, in California. It was like a little oh. test. Um and but I had found it originally because it's got such great cardiovascular benefits. Hmm. Um, ironically, you know, it it it's it specifically because of um, its its um, macronutrient value. Um, it is really good for the heart, um, and that's got to do with some of the like the omega three content and things like that. And so that's kind of how originally it. it it came to be and I came to have interest in it, but I found it physically in a Whole Foods bulk bin. And then wow. um, eventually, uh, you know, used Google as you do now and found suppliers, started testing out different seeds. Um, you know, like any organic product, um, it tastes very different depending on where it's grown, depending on how it's roasted. Um, I distinctly remember, um, buying a bunch of, of seeds, bringing them back to the house, my apartment with my now wife and putting it in a, uh, a, pr a food processor to see if it would turn into a, to a butter, like a spread of ah. peanut butter alternative. And when it did, and it was really good, that was this moment. Cause I had grown up on peanut butter and I was like, man, we can do just about anything with this ingredient. And it really set me on this path. And yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I was definitely working, uh, as, as many people do, you know, you, you kind of, you mitigate the risk right. a little bit. You, you do some research while you're still, um, while you're still at your day job. And so I did that as much as possible. And, you know, you, you test out on friends, you, you talk to as many people as possible. Um, and then eventually we raised some money and that helped me leave ultimately. Oh, love it. Um, how, how did that process start? So, I mean, I'm assuming when you, you're, you're designing an, a product, you're testing ingredients. What was, do you remember 
day one, step one of being like, all right, I'm going to do this. I need to go raise some money. Like, do, could you explain to people who are listening? Because I think so many people get to a point similar to that where they think they have a great idea. They might even have some sort of product, but then they're like, shit, how do I, how do I fund this? How do I even get this off the ground? So for you, do you remember back to those early days of, of what your mindset was like? I do. I, I, you know, I think it was, um, and, and honestly, if I, if I would go to do the same thing today, I would wait longer before raising money. I actually, this was, you know, this was in the sort of heyday of new food and beverage products when there was so much, uh, so much money to go around, you know, rates were super low. Everybody was getting funded. Um, and it's because it was seemed easy. Um, I think I raised too early. Uh, actually I've been on a lot of conversations with other founders who are, you know, just starting out. And I always tell them now, wait, you know, wait until you are so confident the product's perfect. Um, and you've already started selling and you've seen sales data that is so damn convincing that if you don't raise money, you're going to miss out on a massive opportunity, but wait, 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 perfect the product, make sure the product is just awesome. And you see, uh, you see it going to, to a a level that, um, you know, that, that makes sense that you need money right now. I think, uh, so many people, which is what I did think, okay, products ready. Like I need to raise money right now, but if you're able to, you know, go into one store, this is what, I mean, I had a conversation yesterday about this, go into one store and just sell and, and, and focus on that one place, consider it your lab and, um, demo and sample and talk to people and talk and then iterate again, change the product based on your feedback, change the flavors, um, and keep going. Um, you know, my mindset originally was just, well, I need a salary, um, you know, and we need a bunch of uh, money for marketing. We got to do it right now. But I think ultimately if you are as patient as possible, you get sales data that, that, is like literally hitting you overhead that this product is amazing. Um, that's going to save you so much time down the road and you'll avoid look, things that happened to me, which is where I went periods without having a salary at all. Right. And I was uh, like, Oh yeah. God, are we even going to be alive in a, in, in six months? You can avoid things like that by being super patient at first at the, at the outset. Wow. That's really good advice, especially the, the patience piece. I'm sure that's probably gotten 10 X, harder for founders given even in the last 10 years how many exits people have probably read about and they feel like the key is growth 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 it does seem though the industry as a whole especially over the last year with just everything that's happening in the economy and with fundraising it's changed drastically right like i think it seems like every brand i talk to it's talk about profit first which is really interesting that's changed I, i think it's changed for the better i really do i mean i think um a lot of products were getting launched that that, that shouldn't have been launched, you know, and that's no offense to those founders. It's just, um, uh, it was just a, the, the, the amount of easy money that, that existed. And, right. but now I think, I think the business is getting launched and the, um, the fundamentals of those businesses are better. You know, I think 20, I think this year will be as, as sort of interest rates maybe slowly come down and people return to investing. I think they, requirements are going to be greater and that's going to create better companies, better products, better brands. And it'll probably be, it'll still be lower in volume compared to prior years and the heyday, but it's yeah. going to be better stuff and better businesses. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I totally yeah. agree. I, I find it even interesting. We, before we hit record, we were talking about Expo West, which is coming up. And when I was at RX bar, I, I never made it out to Expo West. I had a finance role and really what that really wasn't uh, on the uh, the yearly plan for me. And then when we started Noble Partners, me and Kyle started going and I, you know, the first time I went to Expo West, which would have been 2021, um, it was really, uh, no, it was 2022. It was really eye-opening for me, uh, just in general, to see just how many food and beverage brands there were at yeah. that show. And then what was even more eye-opening was the following year, how many that I remember, even just meeting great founders, product I thought was really interesting, they weren't there. 
They weren't there yep. the next year. And that could have just yep. been a million different reasons, right? It's just expensive and maybe there wasn't a good reason to go. But part of it I know for a fact was just they they weren't running a profitable business or didn't have a line of sight to profitability and they just literally didn't make it to the next year. So um, it's a really good point and really interesting. And if you think back to your process and, and like you said, if you would do it over again, you would have been a little more patient maybe and waited. Um, what would you tell someone today who feels like they're at a position where they could wait but it's going to mean, again, being patient, going slow. Maybe it's focusing on just a few retail doors. Um, like to maybe be, be very tangible for that founder that's sitting out there listening to this podcast today. Would, would there have been like specific metrics, Aaron, that you would have looked at and been like, shoot, I should stay in you know, this local grocery store for six months longer? Or is it, was there like a time frame maybe or like a dollar amount of sales? Or was there anything specific you think when you say patience, you would have, you would have wished you would have done? I think the the best thing to look for is where do you rank within, let's say it's just, it's one store. Um, where do you rank in your category within that store? Mm. And you got to give okay. it time. You can't, you, you know, three months isn't, isn't long enough because you have to let um, enough customers see your product, um, experience it and decide whether they want to come back. So you have to sure. kind of, you know, what, what I would think about is if, and, and we're going to just assume it's one store again. You want to make sure that a, a greater than 50% um, of, of all the shoppers at that store have seen your product, have decided whether they want to try it or not. Um, once you reach that critical mass, then you're going to see, and the test will be reliable, whether you are going to, your sales will rank high in your category or not. And so, so you can imagine if, if only one out of 10 people have even seen your product in a, re, in a single store, that's not a good enough test, you know, make sure at least half of them, um, have, have come across it, have, have taken a quick look, maybe sampled it. And then it's really going to take, you know, nine months plus probably for you to run the right test. Now you might, you might have such a good product that you're already like the, the third ranked skew um, in your category after six months. And that's great. And that might be enough. But I think that metric of where you rank within your specific category is, is really the most reliable one. Um, you know, it's not, it's not absolute sales. It's not absolute velocity. It's all you have to compare to your competitors and you want to be beating them because then it gives you the confidence and it also allows you to then go to five stores and see if you can replicate that success and you do it right in your backyard. So you can, so the operational side isn't, um, isn't holding you back. It's not a bottleneck. You can make sure, you know, if you need to hand deliver your stuff to those five mm. stores and then see, yeah. do you replicate it again? Do you, are you ranking, you know, top five in your category, depending on the size of the category. Um, and then you sort of, do you keep going up those milestones? Then you go from five to let's say 2025. 20, um, that is the right way to do it. And again, it, it's the, the difficult part is the patience part because it's not just pure patience. It's also, you know, we need to earn an income. So yeah, you know, that's right. the stuff that you face, but in a perfect world, you wait until you're, you're the leader in the category or like a top three. That makes a ton of sense. And when you, when you say you're obviously talking a lot about retail, would, would there yep. be, you know, I always think for food and beverage, especially like better for you, food and beverage. Would there have been, if you, if you backed up and, and, and did it this all over again, would there have been specific types of retailers that you would have focused on or maybe even avoided? And you don't have to call out specifics to avoid, but I'm just curious because, you know, there's just so many you could probably try to stake your flag in as like number one. And I genuinely wonder if some brands just get too conventional too quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think um, you have to you really have to identify who your customer is and who your competitors are. So the easiest thing to do is to say, okay, these are like the two um, existing products that I'm competing most directly against. I beat them for these reasons, but those shoppers um, are shopping at, you know, these, these, 10 stores that are around me or, or five stores that are around me. That's probably the way to do it. Um, I think, and, and so it's probably going to be in many cases, like a, like a single specialty natural food store, like an independent store 
that's going to allow you to do this testing. There are other stores that are great um, for, for doing a, a little bit of a bigger test, like a central market comes to mind. They're, in, there's, they're awesome stores. Um, they're, people go there to discover new products. And it's like nine or ten stores in Texas, and okay, perfect, so that's a yeah. that's a great example of a, of a, a little bit of a bigger test size, um, you know. I, I, so that's that's kind of the way I would I would go about doing it. Um, but you also have to. There's a couple of things to keep in mind. You know, that might be your first test, but ultimately, do you want to become a you know hundred million dollar revenue brand or more, if you do, then you're going to have to be able to sell in conventional. You'll have to. And so you have to think about price point. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of a longer term vision and something to think about. But when you're raising money, you really have to know how big of a brand can you become? How big, how, how conventional can you become? Um, Cause the more, when you're raising money, you're thinking about dilution, marketing dollars and things like that. Um, and that's going to dis there, there, there are a couple different paths. You know, you can, you can say, I just want to be in the $20 million size. I'll be okay with that. That's as big as my market is. It's a very different growth story than eventually being everywhere. That's a, that's a really good point, Aaron. Do you, do you think, I mean, you, you obviously talk to a lot of founders in the space. Do you think that might be something that I mean, it's pretty obvious. Not every single brand will become a hundred plus million dollar brand, right? Like it's just, yep. there's not enough space for that to happen. Do you think that's something that maybe folks underappreciate or maybe don't evaluate enough when they start to launch a brand that they just think like they love their thing, but they haven't looked at the actual market to be like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't even a big enough market to be that size of a brand. Yeah, I, I, I do. I don't, I don't think most people think about that. I think it's, it's perfectly fine for people to say, I don't really care how big I get, but if you don't, then honestly, if, if like, if you think I might get the 20 million bucks of revenue, I might not. Um, if you're thinking more in that, um, in that size range, raising a lot of money might not be the right path for you. The better mm. option might be to raise little, you know, small amounts, um, in, in you know, from friends and family and just do it very incrementally. So you don't dilute yourself. You do it, you build slowly, you build profitably. And then maybe you create this, this 20 million brand that's, it's got 10% EBITDA margins. And so, you, so, so you're making $200,000 for yourself every year. That's, that's a, that's a great result, but right. I wouldn't yeah. raise money. I wouldn't raise money from institutional, like venture capital firms, things like that. If that's kind of, what you're thinking about, but I think you're right with your, your question. I don't, I, I think the majority of people starting a food and beverage company aren't really thinking about those two different paths. They're just, they have their product. They love it. Maybe their friends and family are telling them it's great. They should do something. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's something I, I, you know, now I think about a lot. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. The reason I kind of asked it too was, you know, I, I joined our X bar pretty late right before the acquisition and I remember hearing a story where, you know, essentially the founders of RX, they kind of sat down at one point early in or end of 2016, early 2017, they sold at the end of 2017, where they were like, we're, we have a very profitable business and it's growing fast. Do we want this to just be, you know, quote unquote, a family business that we, you know, we make great money from this, we keep growing it, or do we want to try to sell it at a multiple type of thing? And I do think it's interesting for brands who are in the earlier stages, um, to your point, that's like a really hard thing to probably wrap your head around when you're just trying to like get into your first retail distribution points. But Aaron, you already hit on a couple of things that I think are really interesting that I know in my experience, I've seen a lot of brands probably not spend enough time on, which is overall size of prize pricing and just price points in general. I know yep. my time over there at RX was so, it was so eye-opening. It's such a, almost like an MBA in pricing strategy of like, we were talking about what price points needed to look like at mass at club when we weren't even close to those yet. Like that was always like on the horizon and on the timeline. Yep. And in hindsight now it's like we made decisions as we went down opening doors because we knew where we wanted to be when we got to Costco and we, we yep. said no to a lot of things along the way and had to circle back and took the patience thing. 
And I think that that I can imagine if it was, you know, again, trying to put myself in, in your shoes or anyone's shoes, like if this is your baby and you have an opportunity, huge POs on the table, you have price points that you're like questionable on. It's, it, I could see how it'd be a really easy decision to be like, we'll figure out pricing at the next one. And you kind of push a problem down the road and then the problem can't be solved, especially if you have to go raise capital. So yeah, pricing is another one that um, I'm impressed you guys were looking at that early because I think it's another one where if you really focus on it as, as early as possible, you have, um, you can't plan for everything, but you have to test out your diff different hypotheses. You know, if you think, sure. okay, if we go conventional, our price point probably needs to be this. If we go organic, it needs to be this. You, you got to test that constantly yeah. right. um, and you do it early because again, if you, if you just push it off the, even though you think you're impatient now, it's going to save mm -hmm. you so much time. If you have your margins down, you have your price points down early, it's going to save you tons and tons of time. I mean, we, we've launched products that were at such a premium. Um, and, you know, ultimately realize, okay, that let's say, you know, as an example, our Sacha Inchi, um, we had sold in four ounce packs mm -hmm. in a grocery. That's four servings, um, but the problem is that because of our price point and and due to inflation, everything like that, in in you know late 2022, a four ounce pack was selling for in some stores for like eight dollars. Okay, who's gonna try? Who's gonna try that? You know, right. four servings of something they've never heard of for eight dollars. And so we've recently changed our pack size. We realize that it's got to be a single serving, a grab and go. Um, and, and we've really honed in on our price point, but if, if I'd done that earlier, it would have saved me a lot of time. So, um, yeah, I think, I think pricing, it's really, it's two things that I tell people it's, it's just product and pricing. You have to win on one of them. And, but oh, even sure. if you're winning on, if you, even if you're winning on product, you have to test your price. You have to make sure your price is appropriate. Um, so it, it's, you can boil it down to those two things. Um, and then, uh, but doing it early is, is going to save you so much time. Yeah. For, and for you and for the type of product you sell, I could see how there's honestly a little bit more complexity, I think, to pricing, you know, with a protein bar, it's pretty straightforward to be like, okay, look yeah. at the set. Everyone's selling a protein bar. And so you can kind of hone in on that for you. Yeah. Like ounces, the bag size, like there's so many, if you even look at just a regular shelf at any retailer, like they're all doing different size. It's, it's a different game. So for you, how, would you, what would your recommendation be? to new founders today, like how would you test price efficiently? I guess yeah. that's, that's probably a little tough to do in retail sometimes, depending on the retailer you're working with. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, we're, we're not a new category per se, cause we're, we're, we're effectively a nut. Um, but we're such a new product that pricing discovery has been a real challenge for us. Um, what's really interesting. And I tell people is uh, you don't have to launch in Whole Foods. You don't have to launch in a natural food grocery store. Maybe your category or your channel is, and it, for us, it's it it's you know maybe C stores, uh, food service places where um, for us, you know, we want people to not see our product first of all, and immediately know what it is. If you're mm. in a grocery store, you're competing against tens of thousands of SKUs in some cases. Oh um, yeah. If you're, but if you're in, let's say a cafe, you know, people walk in, they're there to buy coffee, but right next to the register, there are three snacks and one of them is brass roots. Well, you're pretty much guaranteed to catch their eye. And then it's up to your product to have like a, you know, we added a window so people could see our product and, and oh, nice. yeah. think, okay, well it looks like a nut. So that must, you know, I must eat it just like that. And it's next to other grab and go um, products. So the other thing to keep in mind, I think it's, it's price point, but it's also channel and, and you, there's no uh, single right path for, for your product launching. And then, so we obviously figured out where our, what our, you know, the best channel is for us, where we're going to have success, where we can launch a new product. And then we're just making sure that, you know, if people are, if all the other products there are $4 and you're trying to sell it for six fifty or seven bucks, you're going to have very little luck. So 
you know, I think you have to be within some sort of um, reasonable premium to other products, not not a 50% premium, but maybe a 20 to 30% premium is reasonable. And then you just, you price it and you test it. And I think the best thing to do, again, if we go back to like that one store test, put it in there at one price, see how it does, put it in there again at another price, see how it does. And then right. increase it back to your other price before you discount it and see if you continue to get the same sort of sales. Um, and it all comes down again to patience and that's right. how you're going to, you're going to figure it out. No, oh, I love that. I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because for, for what you're trying to sell, I could totally see how being on a shelf with minimum, like being in a convention, I guess I'll back up being in a conventional grocery store. And if I was to look at, you know, a wall of peanuts and almonds and, and then there's brass roots, um, as a consumer, you have to like, you have to be really interested in learning what it is probably because yeah. are you guys, would you in most locations where if you're just like neck and neck with almonds or peanuts, are, you said, are you trying to, you said you're trying to be like 15 to 20% priced above. Is that kind of yeah, like the goal? It, on most and, and that's organic. We actually compete okay. directly. So what we decided is that um, we're an organic product. Um, our customers like organic. They want to buy organic. And so we just said, can we compete against almonds? Um, okay. And, but it's specifically organic almonds. We're not going to compete against conventional. It's it's near. It's basically impossible for us to price compete against conventional almonds. Certainly not peanuts. Um, and so we actually are uh, basically the same price on a you know per ounce basis as organic almonds. And I feel very confident about that as a as sort of like our fact. You know our our truth. Sure. If we can't beat organic almonds, then we can't. We're, we don't deserve to to win. You know what I mean? Ah, interesting. Um, yeah. So we're actually priced competitive there, but organic almonds are at a premium to conventional. Um, so so that's where we're at, and and I feel good about that. As again, as as sort of my my fact, like like I want to just just be comparable to organic almonds. Um, Love it. No, that's yeah. a it's a good it's a good benchmark, I think, for for the space you're in. Um, so the patience thing, really interesting, Aaron. I think that's, that's something honestly, I don't hear a lot or at least probably enough from founders on the podcast. So I, I really appreciate that. And I think people listening will take a lot from that as, as we think about your journey, you know, you, you get the product, you launch it, talking to some of these really tangible things, which are, which are great. One thing I wanted to hit on, cause I, I do think your story here, the timing, and I would love to know your learnings and then kind of like what's happened post is and I don't talk about it a lot on the podcast. I've had people on here that have done it before, but just your opportunity on Shark Tank. And personally, yeah. it's funny. I've watched so many. I've probably watched you know ninety percent of the Shark Tank episodes. And yours is actually, and I'm not blowing smoke here. It's one of the most memorable. And I think it, it's a combination of just I love this industry, and so like having a, a what I would consider like a real true CPG food product on the show. And then your entrance was great, obviously. Would you mind just giving everyone, you know, if you think back to when you went on the show, the way it went, I would love even just briefly to hear what your thoughts are now that it's been some time since you were originally yeah. on there. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the show. You know, I didn't get a deal, but that, um, the, the, you know, I think I wanted it. Um, I, I wanted sure. a deal. I'm not going to say I didn't, but um, it, we got, thankfully, we, we got all the benefits of being on Shark Tank. We got a ton of publicity. Yeah. Um, and, but I, what I appreciate about the show is it, it's the reason it's lasted 15, 16 seasons is it's, it's authentic, you know, um, mm -hmm. first of all, all the producers who work at Shark Tank love it. Like there's, uh, the way it works is, you know, a lot of the, the, the staff will also work on, on other shows too. That's kind of oh, the, okay. the, the, the norm. Um, and when you talk to them, it's their favorite show to work on. They love it. Oh, they cool. absolutely love it. And again, it comes back to, you know, they love to work there. Um, viewers love to watch because it's real. There's no script aside from that opening pitch. You know, what you say can, can be aired. Um, if you screw up your pitch, um, it's very likely you just won't air. Um, oh, really? You don't get, you I was don't gonna, get I was going to say, you don't, you don't see a lot of like goof ups. Is that why? Yeah, you, you exactly like the big disasters just never aired. Um, it's, oh, it's I didn't a know much that. Higher, 
it's a much higher portion of the people who who shoot don't don't make it. Um, that makes a lot to, of sense. The, yeah, yeah. So, so are there even are there stuff? Are, yeah, are there pitches that you know get a deal potentially, but it was a really bad pitch and it didn't actually go that well, but there was a deal lockdown that just never airs? Or do you think that usually they just don't get a deal anyway? Probably, probably less of that. Um, yeah, but there are the big flops. Yeah, you're just never gonna see. Um, wow. So okay. the but that authenticity, the fact that what you see is what happened. Um, you know, a lot of the filming is, is Q and a back and forth. There's, there's obviously no script to that. The sharks are going to ask what they want, what they want to ask. And, uh, whatever you say is what you say. You don't, you know, of course you, you practice, you know, you, you there's a list of questions that you go through. Um, but ultimately it is very real and that's why mm-hmm. it's done so well. Um, that's why it's been on for 15, 16 seasons, which, which very few other shows, um, can say. And, uh, so, so yeah, and I loved it. I enjoyed it a, a lot and you come out of something like that and you feel, you feel a lot stronger, confident. You're like, okay, well, if I can do that, you know, being videotaped for, for ABC and, and stand up to that pitch, then I feel, I feel pretty good. Um, and I knew, I knew we had some business fundamental um, business fundamentals that the sharks wouldn't like. Like I was pretty, I knew we'd have a tough time actually raising money. Um, mm-hmm. The, you can imagine, um, you know, we shot in the middle of, of 2022. This was right. I mean, all um, investors knew at this point that the, the next year, year and a half was going to be a tough road. Interest rates were rising. So the expectations were so different. And we were told to set our expectations low as, as the entrepreneurs Oh wow. and, and, um, you know, we weren't profitable at the time and we, we, we could have been by shutting off a ton of marketing and things like that. But th- there was a the profile of business that the sharks really wanted during that time, especially just like everybody else, profit, 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 you know, things right, changed. Right. So, um, uh, but it was great. I, I, I enjoyed it. We, we got our episode to air. Um, our episode has done really well. We had some other great companies go on with us. So the episode has just been, it's been re-aired two times now. Um, and it, you always get a little bump every time it re-airs, yeah. Oh, yeah. which is nice. So yeah, nothing but good things to say. No, that's amazing. It's, it is wild, you know, as someone who, you know, talks and works with food and beverage and CPG brands, it's, you know, I think mo- the average consumer would probably assume that you know, it's a win or loss, whether you get a deal on there. But I mean, I've heard time and time again, it's like just the visibility. And especially if it's like some sort of memorable pitch on the show almost does 10 times more than even giving up the equity that, that you yeah. would have had to on the show, right? Because in hindsight, do you think that would have been not a mistake? It probably, I'm sure there's so much advantage to get, getting a shark, a part of your, your, uh, your ownership team. But do you think at the time what you were asking for and what you would have given away, are you kind of happy you didn't get a deal in hindsight to a degree? Yeah, I mean, if it had gotten much worse for me, it probably would have been a bad deal. You know, probably okay. would have been yeah. a, a pretty de- bad deal for me. So I'm, I'm now that we aired, like I have zero regrets. Um, I mean, I worked on my that pitch because I knew if if I fumbled, um, it, you know, is a chance you just don't air, and and that yeah, that's, sure. but that's something you're that's in your control. You know, so I was right. like, control what I can control, and so I practiced that pitch, man. Uh, I think like 500 times because oh, I, I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be so automatic that it was like breathing when I went on and, and thankfully it was. Um, yeah, I give but, you credit. Uh, it was, it for, it for sure looked very buttoned up and, and fantastic. So I give you props there. <laughs> who, who did you practice on your wife or family or who? My actually my kid driving my kids to, to and from school, I would do it in the car. So I'd oh, do the whole smart. song. I would, I would obviously do the pitch after. And, uh, the first time I did it, I mean, I was speaking to like my windshield. So my daughter was in the back <laughs> like, daddy, what, who are you talking to and what are you doing? And then I explained it and, and she got really into it. And there's, um, there's a lot of, you know, helpful tricks you can play to, to give yourself confidence and help, help yourself relax when you're in the, the tank and about to go on. And she had actually, she drew this picture for me before I left of me and literally in a tank with Aww, sharks. And she was cool. like, sharks, please love our daddy. 
and I, I, I envisioned that right before I went on and it just like made me crack up and realize well, what's actually important, right? Like sure. not to oh, take yeah. this too seriously. You, yeah, probably you like actually enjoy the moment 10 times more yeah. than the average person that walks in there. Exactly. So, um, oh, yeah, cool. it was a, it was, it was great, man. It was really great. What What is it like when you're about to go on? Is there like some sort of weird green room type of thing that all the, like the founders are sitting in or how does it work? Well, you got those doors, right? Everybody sees those doors open up. You're standing yeah. right there. You're waiting for your queue. Oh, um, so everyone's just standing there waiting for their turn. Yeah. So I was there. Oh, well, not, it's not in a line, you know, but, um, the people behind yeah. you are like getting their makeup done. So it's just you in the okay. case. In my case, it was me and my two buddies, the brass band guys. Yeah. And we were, and you know, ours was unique in that we, um, they, they kicked it off right with the, with mm -hmm. the, um, actually it was, it was me with my first line, but then they kicked off right after. And, um, it was, so we had our, we had to get our timing perfect. And then you get a cue from a guy who's standing next to you with a, who's listening, waiting for all the sharks to be sitting and everything to be ready. And, uh, we were really l late in the shoot. Like there's a, they're, they're shot into kind of two, two week sprints. We were like the dead last one of our sprint. We were la oh, last wow. one of like 70 pitches. And Which that's tough. Cause the sharks are probably so tired at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't helpful, but, um, you know, again, out of my control. So I yeah, just let right, it, let it, let it roll. Hey, so, you're still on the show. I mean, you can land it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it, let's just say it was, they were having, the producers were having trouble getting all the sharks to settle down and sit. Cause it was like the last thing. Right. Um, okay. It was, I, I liken it to, uh, the last day of school for kids getting them to settle yeah. down. And, and, uh, so we had like, like six miscues where they're like, okay, here we go. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hold on one second. So that was the, that was the difficult part. Cause we kept, kept thinking we were about to run on. Um, oh, that's tough. It's like ready, yeah. set, stop. Yeah. Right, oh, geez. Right. Okay. Right. Um, Very cool. So yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, when you went on the show and then, and then, you know, not getting a deal, um, how long does it, did it take then to air the show? I know it takes some time. <laughs> yeah, it did. And you don't really hear a lot, right? Until, until it's right before you're going to air. So we basically, um, about had about six, seven months before I heard anything. And then wow. it was boom, you're about to air in, in, you know, a couple of weeks. And, uh, Oh, cool. But we had basically, we had gotten everything ready as if we were going to, we were going to air. We, we sort yeah, of, smart. we were pretty confident. I knew it went well overall and it was entertaining. So I knew it was a greater than 50% chance. And, uh, you just, we had to plan our inventory, plan all that stuff, get the website ready, all that, um, and sort of have everything ready to go with the, with the push of a button. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think for people listening who have no idea what Aaron's talking about, like the amount of all of a sudden just demand that you have that's driving to your website and people searching for you when you're on a show like that, it's pretty immense, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we had our best, we, our, our visitors to our website, um, you know, it was like, it was like 10x what it had ever been, maybe more. Um, wow. It was cool. We had a, we had a watch party and we put our Shopify map up on mm. a, a monitor. And oh, so cool. you could see as we went on, all of a sudden the map went from, you know, a handful of dots, right. Of, of visit current active visitors to just boom that the, the Eastern half of the U S was just dark because it was so oh, many whoa. people were visiting at once. It was, it was really cool to, to watch. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was neat. Very cool. So, I mean, you go on the show, obviously it airs, which is a huge win. From there, Aaron, what is what has business been like? Like, how have things gone? I, for people who, you know, are listening, obviously they've, they've heard the beginning story, some some tips and tricks you've had, and then you're going on Shark Tank. What does it look like, you know, 2023, which was a, a tougher year for sure for most food and beverage yeah. brands. Uh, what, what's it been like for Brass Roots? And then kind of a follow-up question is just like, what is 2024 looking like? What are some big things you're trying to accomplish this year? Yeah. So the, the, the thing I would say is that, you know, Shark Tank does a lot of great things. So one, one example is just, there's a, a natural filter that everybody has. And so that's whether you're a buyer at a retailer, you know, you're getting requests all the time to send samples, things like that. Shark Tank, it helps you get through that filter very quickly. 
and that and it could be just a consumer, a friend you're talking about your product. Hey, we were on Shark Tank. Oh, and their their tension changes. So the great right. thing about Shark Tank is you you get it's like you get to the front of the line in 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 a lot of these things. Now, but it doesn't solve everything for a company either. It's not like the uh uh you know the the silver bullet that cures all of your problems either. And so right, we, we right. definitely still went through what everybody else went through in 2023, struggling to find cash and capital, struggling to raise money. Thankfully we made it to the other end, but it wouldn't it was it was the hardest year I've ever had in business by by a long shot. Um, wow. by far the hardest. And I think that's pretty consistent across the board. Um, you know, I found ways to be profitable, cut, cut costs, um, made some very tough decisions about product lines, shutting those off. But ultimately I think 2023, if you made it through and, and whether you did or not, it made you into a better entrepreneur. Like there is zero mm -hmm. doubt because you got to, you have to go through hard stuff. And I talked to so many, um, objectively successful entrepreneurs about this during 23 and they said they'd all been through really hard stuff many people looking at like five million dollars of personal liability in the face things like that that happened years before and so you just realize things cycle you got to go through yeah. the hard things um and uh yeah, now here we are. You know, we launched in uh, our big our big new new launch was was with uh, Compass Group, which is the largest oh, food service yeah. operator. We're going into a bunch of tech offices, so we we just launched in um, Google and Amazon and uh, and Meta nice. offices with our grab and go ba bags. We're doing some bulk food service, so we're actually um, you know some of these these tech offices are putting our Sacha Inchi seeds in bulk in their like dispensers in the break rooms. Oh wow things like that. So um, our big focus this year from a sales standpoint is our grab and go size. Um, I think we've realized that's like our hero of skew. That's how people are going to get introduced to this. It, people immediately connect that bag, which looks exactly like uh, you know, a single serving grab a, a bag of peanuts or almonds. They, they know how to eat it. And so that gets over a lot of the consumer education hurdles that we have. Um, and we've improved the product a lot. We actually switched suppliers, um, which, you know, again, I'd mentioned sort of different tastes depending on where it's grown, different roasts. So we've really improved the product a lot. Sacha Inchi has, um, in a different, it's, it's like a peanut. It has a lot of nutty tastes, but it has also its own unique tastes. And so we wanted to mitigate that as much as possible. So we've done that. Um, so yeah, it should be a, a really good year. I'm excited. I'm excited to have made it through. Think yeah. I think oh, yeah. it, it's uh, there's a lot of opportunity this year, so um, you know I, I think there's also less innovation right now for, for obvious reasons. So we've got an opportunity to to be one of the the handful of of still very innovative companies out there, um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. It, it should be a it should be a good year. I'm, uh, good riddance to 2023. I, I was gonna say <laughs> you sound fired up, which is great. You know, it's like pressure makes diamonds, and it, it, it yeah. Even though there was like a lot of, you know, shitty hard things that had to happen, like you said, it, it sounds like brass roots is one example is gonna come into twenty twenty four with just a little bit more laser focus to some cleaned up pieces of the business that unless you're forced to do it might not have ever happened. So it sounds like there could be a lot of wins when you look back. Even at the end of twenty four into twenty five, you'll probably be saying like, Hey, maybe twenty three was a blessing. Good riddance for now, but maybe it ends up being, you know, a lot more focus and profitability and just growth in general. Yeah. I, I, I talk to a, a lot of other founders and, and I, I tell them, you know, we're all like, we're all calloused now. We're all, yeah, our right, hands, right, right, our right. hands all have these big calluses. We, you know, we can, we can get through anything now. So, um, it, you know, it's, uh, that mentality will be helpful. <laughs> no, I love that. It's a, it's a great analogy. Um, Aaron, as we, as we wind down the podcast, the last two questions I always love to ask, uh, I'll start with the first one. It's just for the listeners today, a source of knowledge. So for you as an entrepreneur, as a CPG founder, if there's been, you know, a book, a podcast, an article, just something you've read recently that when I said that pops in your brain that you'd love to share with the audience today, I'd love to, uh, to share that with everyone. Yeah. I, so my favorite book, um, that's sort of, I, I would say it's a marketing book is the way I've used, utilized it is called the power of habit. It's by mm. a guy named Charles Duhigg and um, it's, 
amazing how helpful it is when you're thinking about product fit um, and and general marketing to consumers. It's got a, a nice tidbit in there. It's got great examples. I love books with examples. Um, oh, that's great. That yeah. you can look at, you know, so it, it talks about um, uh, Febreze is a great example um, and how that, that product basically wasn't successful at first and they'd made one little tweak, which was adding a scent to it. And oh, okay. it ultimately took off. And that's what, how Febreze came, became Febreze. There are lots of tidbits in there um, uh, about that. And then it's also just good personally habit, habit. We're all creatures of habit. So you can right. change, you can change things. I love that. That's fantastic. Uh, I wrote that down. I'm going to have to add that to my list this year. Yeah. Um, the next one, Aaron, is just one. It's one of my favorite things I get to ask entrepreneurs on this podcast is just the tools that you surround yourself with to, you know, look at business goals. Maybe it's annual goals for you personally and ultimately just day to day how you get shit done. So is it pen and paper, planner, apps? Just like what does Aaron use to organize his things he's got to do and ultimately to get stuff done? Yeah, I so the my my uh my sort of uh, to-do list Bible is just this, this notebook here. Um, I use this thing. Oh, love it. Okay. Yeah. Just a regular notebook, regular notebook. And I, every Sunday I'll plan out my week. Um, so I have my, my week's to-do list. And then I have each day, I have three things specifically that I want to accomplish. And it's, it's you know, what, what are those three things that make that day a good day. Uh, I think that's so critical because we all have to have this long-term vision, mm -hmm. but the you're never going to get there and you're going to go crazy if you think too far into the future and that you're failing now based on that long-term vision. And you just have to think what's what's what makes today a good day. And a lot of good days turn into a lot of good weeks, turn into a lot of good months and years. So I write those weekly and daily to-do lists there. And then, um, you know, my calendar is critical for me. I mean, I'm, I have two kids and a wife who's very busy too, and she's got her own law firm. And so everything is in that calendar. And I look at that thing very religiously to stay, to stay as organized as possible. Um, and, and then Google sheets, Google docs, that's, that's my, my, operating system <laughs> you know i love it dude you um, are you and me are I'm, I'm spot on with you i don't think i've ever had anyone that's basically mad. it's exactly what i do um yeah. i use this thing called a full focus planner which i don't know if you've ever heard of this it's yeah. uh it's probably an overly expensive version of what you do on notebook <laughs> but i just for me it really does just kind of keep me it does the exact same thing it's like you basically have your annual goals in the front weekly you set a weekly big three and then daily it's a daily big three and it, I do I, that process. It sounds so simple, um, but it's so revolutionary in a time where if you if you don't have it, I personally think writing stuff down too, it allows me to always just go back to this physical thing and be like, okay, what did I wake up you know this week this morning and say like these are the important things to do because you can get so overwhelmed with just what's coming in your inbox, Slack, text messages today. It's so yeah. overwhelming with technology around us that I think having an analog system just to keep you on pace is, is crucial. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the other thing I've added to my routine is um, a lot of little things that, um, not a lot of them, but, but a handful of little things that I do first thing in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. Because that, if, if you do something, let's say making your bed, you know, I, I wasn't someone who loved making my bed growing up or, or, or did it in college religiously or anything like that. But if you get into the habit of doing that at the beginning of the day, um, and it's something you don't really like, but then you do it. Oh yeah. The mentality you have right after you get, you get a, um, a dopamine boost from that. You know, you get a, like a little jolt of, okay, I just took care of something that I, I really don't like to do. It took me two minutes, but I did it. Um, you know, you add in a few of those things, you know, if, if, if it sucks to exercise, do it real right first thing in the, in the morning, um, because everything is going to seem so much easier after that. So those, those things, um, I think really help. And I love especially that. During tough I times, totally agree. During tough yeah. times, it's necessary. Yeah. That's great, Aaron. Yeah. No, appreciate that. And that's fantastic advice. Well, 
Aaron, last question and most important for everyone listening today that now has to try Brass Roots. What's the best way to try the product and ultimately follow the brand, follow you? Yeah, um, you know, Amazon's the easy one. Our website's really easy. You know, things have gotten easier every every day, I'd say, you know, between Apple Pay and whatnot, less friction on those websites. So either of those um, are, are great. Um, and then, um, yeah, you can find us at, at Brass Roots Food. Um, uh, on Instagram. So love it. Okay. I'll add all those links to the show Sweet. notes. so Everyone can find it easily. So everyone go check that out. And, uh, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate the time, man. It was great to hear about more about your story and uh, great to reconnect, man. Awesome, brother. All right. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. See you.